we are in danger of having thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of, I probably need to come up with a good term for this, book Scrum Masters. People who just following the Scrum Guide, who've done a CSM, who know the basics or a PSM, but they've been taught the what, not the how or the why. And I, th- I think that's a risk. Welcome to the Product Agility Podcast, the missing link between Agile and Product. The purpose of this podcast is to share practical tips, strategies, and stories from world-class thought leaders and practitioners. Why, I hear you ask. Well, I want to increase your knowledge and your motivation to experiment so that together we can create ever more successful products. My name is Ben Maynard, and I'm your host. What has driven me for the last decade to bridge the gap between agility and product is a deep-rooted belief that people and products evolving together can achieve mutual excellence. If I had to name one person that's made more of an impact on the product, team and agile worlds than any other, it would have to be Jeff Watts. Jeff Watts was one of the early pioneers when it came to product development using Scrum in the United Kingdom, has written three fantastic books which are on nearly everyone's bookshelves, I would expect. So it is with great pride that I welcome Jeff onto the podcast for three very special episodes. On this first episode, we delve into the value of product mastery, the challenges and importance of product management, the criticality of building relationships and alignment in an organisation, and the courage and the grieving process for product people when you have to let something go. Now this is going to be a fantastic episode and you've got two more coming after this. You know this episode is going to be golden. It's Jeff Watts for God's sakes. Of course it's going to be great. So don't worry about listening to it before you recommend it this time around. Just get on WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Twitter, send a letter. I don't mind, but recommend it to somebody. Without any further ado, let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode. And this is one which has been in the pipeline for a while because I'm very honoured, I would say, to have the one and only Jeff Watts joining us today for a few episodes, a few conversations. Jeff is someone that I've been aware of for a long time. In fact, Jeff, I will keep to my general theme of (laughs) saying things which I didn't prepare you for. I think one of my first ever meetups I went to when I started my kind of agile journey was an ACE meetup at ASOS with a talk by yourself, I think. Can you remember what it was? Maybe it is around the time your book came out, Scrum Mastery, Okay, I think. It's about 10 years ago. How many... Yeah, yeah. It would have been around that time. I think maybe that's where I got my copy of the book. Cool. Yeah, 10 years ago. I know. I'm getting now people now that um, that say, not many, thankfully, but it's, it started <laughs> of, you trained my dad. Oh, no, really? Yeah. They're saying it with love, but it just makes yeah. me feel old. <laughs> that's the joys of getting old, isn't it? That every, that every now and again, you have to feel it. Then yeah. you can forget about it and just yeah. get on with your life. <laughs> yeah, just accept it. Yeah. So, Jeff, thank you so much for coming along. It is, yeah, it's uh, seriously yeah, an honour to have you on the podcast. That's now, great, for those of you that don't know who Jeff is, I'm not going to explain his career or try and pick out edited highlights. Jeff, I'm going to throw it over to you. And could you take a moment for those of the people that perhaps don't know who you are, where you come from, what you've been up to, just a bit of an introduction to yourself. Sure. So I'm based in the UK and 
started using Scrum at the turn of the century, which that phrase, true, also increases this perception that I'm <laughs> ridiculously old. And over the course of the last 20 odd years, I've been teaching and coaching and writing and speaking. I've written a few books, as you mentioned, Scrum Mastery and you know, one on product managers and one on teams and one on coaches. I've got a very broad span of interests and I love coaching and I love helping people and love challenging the status quo. So those are the kind of things that, that get me going and I've been doing for a while in various guises. What was it that led you into the realms of professional coaching rather than traditional kind of Scrum Mastery, Agile coaching? I, I was following the professional coaching path before I was following the Agile path, actually. And it was part of my the sort of graduate scheme when I left university. I got exposure to all sorts of different types of parts of the business and so on. And I was allowed to... Actually, I think the first thing I did was I just went on a very short training course, which exposed me to different types of leadership and different types of management and things. And that piqued my interest. And so I then went on with the Open University, just in my own spare time, doing a postgraduate study in coaching, which it just got my fancy. It seemed to sit with the way that I thought and the way that I worked and a bit of confirmation bias. I saw me in that and so just followed it. Hmm. And when you did your OU, Open University postgraduate, was that purely book-based or was that practice-based as well? No, I remember you might be familiar with people like Paul Goddard and Nigel Baker. I, mm. I literally used to sit a metre away from them in the same office and as well as doing some, go and read this and write an essay on this topic, there was a lot of, okay, go and practice this with somebody and report back your findings. And so I can remember dragging Paul and Nigel into some voluntary coaching sessions and other people at BT so that I could get my you know, hours of practice in and reflect on mm. how, how bad of a coach I was to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I, it's very similar. When I was at Henley Business School doing their, what's it now called, yeah, postgraduate certificate in executive coaching, and I did the team coaching one afterwards, but I, I must say, the first time I said this publicly, I preferred the PCEC because it was just so much practice coaching and then reflective essays after each module. Yeah. And I never wanted to be that person that said that it changed me as a person, but mm -hmm. it changed me as a person. For the better, mm -hmm. I'm more in tune with myself and my feelings and, and what goes on in my own head. And it's going to provoke me to go off and get my own kind of bits of help as, yeah. as a consequence. So I think that's I got a huge amount from it. And I can't see how you can do something like coaching just from behind an essay. Yeah. It's just, I, maybe it's just, that's just us, right? We are people learn in different ways. And maybe it's just we are very practical. And I'm sure there are people out there that could theoretically just take a very academic perspective to it and explore and compare and contrast and actually observe other people doing it and draw some conclusions and further the industry. But that's not, yeah, I like you, I don't think that's me. No. But I say, is it something like carpentry or climbing or calligraphy or other things that don't begin with C? Is it, <laughs> sure, you can read all the books and get that. You yeah. can feel the knowledge gaps, but the skills gaps, that takes practice and that takes the application of knowledge. And particularly with coaching, a huge amount of reflection. Yeah. To, I think if it's something you're going coach. to be doing, if it's something that is going to become part of or actually your career, then yeah, it's got to be something that you practice and get better at. And I think mm. that's with anything that you're going to do. I think, like I said, there are, I think people, you look back to, I don't know, 
Plato and Aristotle and stuff, who are renowned as philosophers, thinkers. And I think there is a place for that, people who just think about stuff and who are very academic. Mm. But I think the vast majority of people, if they're going to add a skill to their skill set, as well as learning what everybody else has already learnt, not reinventing the wheel, there is an element of actually learning how you go about doing it and you know, building up your skill through practice. Which leads us perhaps nicely into maybe the first topic that we wanted to explore today, which is you have started and... Forgive me. So you had the Agile Mastery community before, yeah, and then that has Agile Mastery has evolved now into something more. Yeah, so so a couple of years ago, I wanted to create a space for people. A lot of people that I worked with and spoke to found social media to be quite a daunting environment not just your twitters and your linkedins and your facebooks but also meetup groups and networking and linkedin groups and forums and things like that where people don't know each other and see each other and a lot of people disengage from that because of the lack of safety involved in that but they still wanted to learn from other people's experiences so the original idea was to try and create some kind of safe space with a code of conduct where people could share experiences and i could maybe even informally and almost on an ad hoc basis provide some coaching and so on and yeah that's just furthered my passion and desire to disrupt i'm not an elon i'm not going to go in and try and take over twitter and try and change that but try and disrupt paradigms is something that that i'm a big fan of don't just do something because that's the way we've always done it the agile mastery institute as opposed to the agile mastery community is an attempt to try and disrupt the agile certification industry which might not be a fair term but basically the accepted standard for certification in the agile world and that accepted standard is what? Go on a course for a couple of days, yeah. prove that you filled some knowledge gaps, maybe? I have mixed feelings on this. So I'm proud of what two-day Agile training has achieved. So having been a project manager, a traditional project manager at Prince2, in a world where there was nothing there on offer for anybody who wanted to do something different and feel that actually there was some weight behind it, then, or even reward for going down that path, then a two-day, for example, CSM class was brilliant. It was game-changing. And I'm proud of the way that I and a number of other people that I know have introduced that into the world. But equally, this is where the mixed feelings come in. Now that this is the accepted default, and for whatever reason, it's been misinterpreted as the standard, uh, this is what good Scrum Mastery product ownership and so on looks like, then I've been part of that. Mm. And so last year, I decided that I was going to try and make a a big shift and stop doing those two-day classes, even though the majority of my actual work was a combination of coaching and training so meeting people in the classroom more often than not and then supporting them outside of the classroom as they try and put those skills into practice just like me find out all the uh, the unconscious incompetence that we have as we're trying to learn new skills and just supporting them through that now it's a lot more official so i've stopped teaching scrum alliance classes and i just whenever somebody comes to me for training i don't just do training okay it, it is a pathway that combines training but also combines the support over at least 6 months as they're trying to put that into practice coming up against the yeah the nuances that okay 
this is great in theory, but how do we deal with this in practice you know, that, that no book can tell you? And I suppose then that you've seen some people just turn around and say, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm serious about this. I want to be good at it. And some people just turn around and say, no, nah, I just want the certification or I just want N number of people to go through this course. So thanks, but no thanks. Absolutely. Not, not everyone's in it for the application, are they? Because you're saying it's become, it's become this, particularly CSMs, it's almost like it's a GCSE now, like a standard, have you proven that you've done X? True, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting, for those of you that are in the UK and understand what GCSE is, it's a good <laughs> analogy. It's your table stakes, but it's been given more weight than it deserves. And that's, I don't judge the certification bodies for that. I don't judge mm. the individuals for that. Everybody has their own objectives and goals and challenges and constraints and there are some people who know that if i want to get a job then the way the market is at the moment my cv is not going to get read unless i've got this on it and i completely empathize with those people and organizations who are looking for people to come and fill positions at the moment all they're aware of is csm psm so on so that's their easy filter. If they've got hundreds, literally, and I'm speaking to people who are trying to hire people, hundreds of people applying for one role, how do they easily filter? And that's just one easy filter. And ultimately, yeah. I don't begrudge anybody for trying to make things easy for themselves. Mm -hmm. And like I said, a lot of the courses that are out there are brilliant, but I think that the issue for me is that all a course can ever do is fill a knowledge gap. Now, if there is a... And if that person who goes on the course is motivated and in the right environment then they can begin to apply and practice some of it and learn. And I think yeah, when I came to your meetup, what was it, like 10 years ago, mm. whatever it may have been, this is something that I talked to Rowan Bunning about but mm -hmm. last year, was that back then you could Google it and you could find some really high quality blogs and some nice writing. And there were a handful of books out there and they were all pretty brilliant as a rule. And it was much easier to find high quality information. And back mm. then, you, I think you were much closer to the people who originated a lot of these ideas yeah. Now it's just there's so much written and there's so many books and there's so many people. I think it's unless you're in this magical position where you've got the opportunity to practice, like purposely practice what you've learned in a nice, safe environment and you've got some great recommendations, I think it's probably pretty hard for people to take on that knowledge that they've learned and apply it in some way. Yeah. And it's always tough to do it on your own. It's all very contextual. The same action, the same decision from one day to the next or one team to the next could be great and it could be terrible. And it takes that that experience, that years and years of experience and trial and error and nuance, but also the ability to reflect on it. Yeah, Despite having 20 plus years of coaching experience, you know, there are times when I need to go and speak to my supervisor about how I approached a coaching conversation because I'm not quite sure whether that was helpful or right and what was driving me down that path so that next time something like that comes up i've got more awareness self-awareness just like you described going through this you know yourself more and hmm. i think that's a big part of learning is knowing myself as a scrum master or myself as a product owner or myself as an agile leader because it there isn't one way to do it sadly Oh, I think, and I, I get why you say that, <laughs> absolutely. And I know it's slightly tongue-in-cheek, but actually that's what makes this thing beautiful. And it, it's what's necessary, right? Forgive me here. But getting on my sort of soapbox about this, we are in danger of having thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, <clears throat> I probably need to come up with a good term for this, but book scrum masters, people 
who are just following the scrum guide who've done a csm who know the basics or a psm they know the basics but they've been taught the what not the how yeah or the why and i think that's a risk if i was going to be kind i would say that and Damien, when this is broken, it's not an actual perfect way of explaining it, but we have lots of somewhat knowledgeable Scrum masters, but very few skillful as a ratio. Mm, yeah. People can explain Scrum or various versions of the Scrum guide, perhaps, but when it comes to how they're going to do it and what it means to be, yeah, take the word Scrum master and place it a team coach, which is really what it's all about. How do you be a team coach? What does that mean for you? You can have the knowledge, but it doesn't mean you're going to do it. And I don't think that the a lot of the courses out there, Scrum master courses, and I haven't been on one for a while, it really... Have, you haven't got the time to cover a lot of the stuff which you need to know. And I suppose that's why you've got things like PSM 1, 2, 3, and then the, is it, what is it now? Is it Advanced CSM or is it CSPSM now for the Scrum Alliance? I can't remember. And it's great that there is a, a path for those people. But what one of the things, and I tried to influence this from within, right? So I helped create the Advanced CSM learning objectives and curriculum, which then I worked with Barry Overeem, who's uh, on the other side, as it were, at Scrum.org, who took some of that and, and applied it there as well. So I've, I've tried to help create that from within, but the statistics that just really sort of disappointed me was that only 2% of people actually go past that introductory training either scrum two percent i am i'm shocked have gone on to advance let alone the third stage and it's very similar for scrum.org as well because it's i think part of my hypothesis there is because it's optional right and it's always i can do that next year i can do that tomorrow and before three years have gone by because work's just got in the way and perhaps you've been I'm just thinking through my own examples, right? My own personal experience here of just getting into bad habits and and practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So unless you're having that regular reflection and that regular learning, you could just be institutionalizing and hardwiring bad habits. Yeah. I seem to recall at some point talking to people around, is this something to do with the employers as well, the companies who are hiring these roles? And if they were to in, increase the bar which people have to get over for a job mm-hmm. and say, the CSM, brilliant, you've proved that you can get dressed. Nice one. But now can you prove that you can go out and do the shopping? Mm-hmm. Then actually having this employers begin to say, like, great, you can be positioned, considered for a scrum master or agile coach position, and that's fantastic. But we would like to see, and I suppose maybe this is where some of the practical application comes in, where people look through their CVs, but then it's only ever a story about what that person says they did in the role. Mm-hmm. It's never actually, it's very hard to verify. But yeah, if employers turn around and say, no, we want to see ACSM, CSPSM, PSM2, or yeah, you've been on the Agile, Agile Mastery Institute style progression, would people then throw at employers, oh, hold on, yeah, you're looking for the wrong thing. It should be about practical experience. It shouldn't be about what certificates you've got. Yeah. So I think I had a a relatively easy answer until your last few words of that question. And that is that, yeah, we do need to increase the awareness that's an option because I think a lot of the organisations that I speak to, the awareness stops at the introductory level certification. And so even though the advanced CSM has been around for eight or nine years, there are still few organisations that are aware that is a higher bar than a CSM, and that might be why the demand is such that only two percent of the people follow it through. And little old me, starting the Agile Mastery Institute against two 
established industry players, it's going to take a long time to establish that awareness that this is an option. But the way that I tend to look at it is the early adopters, the people who are keen, the people who are innovative, the people who are actually aware and have had first-hand experience of this pain, they're looking, they're actively looking for something alternative. And so the demand very much is B to B rather than B to C right now. I've got organisations who've got, say, 10, 15 product owners or product managers who really want to genuinely upskill those people, develop them into their role. And so running an in-house class, for example, it's a lot It's a lot more difficult for, let's say, a freelance product manager who wants to upskill themselves over six months in order to mm-hmm. get a role. It's much more tempting for them to just get a quick badge on the CV yeah. to put them forward for a new role, which is completely understandable. So within the Agile Mastery Institute, you've got a few different... How would you describe it? Tracks or themes? Yeah, so I use the word pathway because for me, pathway, when I think of a pathway, it's quite winding, right? Yeah, and I, one of the quotes that's been one of my mantras throughout my life is take the road less travelled. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. forward your own path rather than just follow what other people have done. And to so this idea, of, we've got a start point. So I've got something. I've got 20 plus years of good practice that I can give you some new skills, some theories, some actual stuff that you can go away and work on, almost pushing content to them, good practice content. But then there's six months worth of, okay, so you and everybody else who came along to that class is in completely different context. Even if you're in the same organization, you're in different context. You are in a different place. Your team is in a different place. Your product's in a different place. So then we've got six months of you pull what you need So where your pathway goes, I will go with you. It's not me saying this is your pathway. It's Mm -hmm. here is your starting point, and then I will come with you where your pathway goes. Mm -hmm. And that sense of ownership and personalization of of their learning experience and their growth experience, I think is crucial. Mm -hmm. I really do. For me, this is a really harsh generalization, but for me, when you look back, the training that people have had how many of those agile training courses have actually been agile they've been learning objectives designed in advance pushed onto people in a once and done environment that's not very agile right there's no sense of discovery there's no sense of inspecting and adapting and evolution and personalization so this is really crucial to me the one thing that i've seen if if above anything else is yes but how do i work through this in my context so when you've got a group of people and they're all from different contexts how does that become coherent so for me there's a couple of things one is small cohorts all right so the cohorts that i had last week single figures every single one of those people feels safe enough to share their context with the other learners so they can understand how other people are dealing with a similar topic in their reality and i can have coaching conversations with them as well as teaching conversations or mentoring conversations. So I don't have to skip on because there's 20 people or 25 or 50 people in some people's cases who need me to carry on. We can really go deep on on what means something for them. And then we've got these regular coaching sessions where they will bring the content. So let's take a real example, right? We've got a group of product owners from just before Christmas. One of them was talking about a particular really difficult stakeholder who was making their prioritization and release strategy really difficult. And while that stakeholder is obviously very specific to that individual and that context, every other product owner 
on this pathway is going to have some form of stakeholder challenge. So we can use that specific example as the basis and then we can pick it apart through a coaching conversation. We can look at influencing strategies. We can look at motivation strategies. We can look at psychology behind people's actions and human needs and so on. And that individual can work their way through of perhaps approaching that relationship slightly differently. But equally, every other individual who's part of that is thinking, OK, so that could apply to my situation. That could apply to my situation. And we've got time for, OK, so what about me? And that's the coherence, right? So even though everyone is different, there is, there's the opportunity to generalize and specialize because the cohorts are small. And the other one is that quite often we're, so this, the cohort that I'm at week after next, I'm pairing with somebody. So Emma, Bert and I are running product mastery cohort and we can split the group into two different conversations if we need to. So we can have multiple parallel tracks, almost you know, a conference where you've got an open space and people go to the conversation that's most of interest to them. We have that redundancy where people can focus and then come back and share their learning experiences at the end of the, at the end of the coaching session. I think it's brilliant. You're doing something different. I think, and I hope that it catches on because we're running a few mentoring circles and we're doing it in a very kind of loose and organic way as an experiment. And we've been surprised of a number of people who instantly up for some affordable group contextual support mm-hmm. and like you say it's small it's small mm-hmm. numbers small cohorts and i think this is where the industry needs to go but where we need to go i think is maybe into episode two jeff because we've been talking about half an hour or so and i would love to in the following episodes maybe go a little bit deeper on the different pathways as i look to my left see what scrum mastery product mastery and agile leadership We'd love to learn a little bit more about, I suppose, the remit or differences in approaches, the types of things you cover or don't cover, I mm-hmm. think would be very interesting. Cool. And yeah, and I'll kind of poke a prod around that. So right. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. And we will be back again shortly with a second episode of me and Jeff. So thank you very much. Episode one is done. And next week we move on to episode two, where we're going to be delving deeper into the intricacies of the agile certification industry. Now, I call it an industry. Maybe some of you disagree, but it is. The way that the agile world has gone with its obsession with training and certifications has left a bitter taste in many people's mouths. And Jeff and myself are doing our bit to fix that. So please make sure you listen to next week's episode because we're going to be going deeper on this really interesting and extraordinarily important topic. Whether you're a product or an agile person, or dare I say a product agility person, there's going to be something there for any of you. Now thanks very much for taking the time to listening. I have been Ben Maynard and this is the Product Agility Podcast.